0: Welcome to Closing the Gap and I'm your host Denise Cooper. Ever wanted good advice or insights about your career, leadership, or navigating messy organizational politics? Getting good advice can make all the difference between making the right choices and worrying about what to do. So sit back, relax, and listen as my guests and I talk about lessons learned about career success, leadership, and HR in the 21st century. There's so much buzz about work-life balance today, but I say that's a flawed concept. We should be striving for work-life integration. This isn't a fight between one or the other. You can't give up your life, and you certainly can't give up work. In fact, thinking about it as work-life balance actually makes the gap bigger and harder to close. We should be asking for human policies at work that acknowledge we are fully integrated, dynamic human beings with complicated lives. We should be training and evaluating bosses on how well they contribute to creating work cultures and customer interactions that recognize and honor our need to live an integrated life. My guest today is Carla Carlis. Carla is an executive at a Fortune 500 company, a mother an activist for mental health and work-life integration, and now a new author. Her book, Journey to the Sun, is on sale and you can purchase it wherever you buy your books. Our very intimate conversation about the challenges she faced, changing careers, helping others deal with tragedy, and coming face to face with her own struggles to be a good parent, employee, and citizen is a lesson on what executives can do to create a culture where the idea of work-life integration and achieving high performance actually works. Good morning, everyone, and I am so happy to have Carla Carlisle here sitting with me today, and we're going to talk about women in the workplace, and we're going to talk about it from a perspective of how do you keep being powerful and showing up as the leader that's all that is in all of us and yet we have this other life that we have to deal with and to get some tips about this is a woman who in my mind is probably definitely in the ultra strong category. Not only did she go from one career and traverse through a number of careers, but in her last career, she's now has written a book called Journey to the Sun. And that's S-O-N. And it is about her story of adopting a young man who God placed in her life to say, it is the gift for you, but more importantly, or as importantly, it's a gift for him. So could you please welcome Carla to the table today?
1: Thank you. And thank you so much, Denise, for having me. I'll start off with just a brief introduction of who I am. As you mentioned, I've had a few careers. And so I'll start off with saying uh, right out of undergrad, I graduated from Indiana University uh, from Kokomo, Indiana, and I went right into the FBI. I worked in, in the intelligence field. I went from there to work for the U.S. Senate, which was really interesting. I was in Washington, D.C. at the time for the FBI and the U.S. Senate. And then I really saw that that probably wasn't the right field for me. And I was very much interested in the rights of employees. And so I ended up going to American University, working in a job share role in human resources. And with that, I ended up going to a program, which was an executive weekend program in human resource management. And I also became a full-time employee at American University while I was doing my executive master's in human resource management. So I completed that program and just through networking, I ended up getting a job offer with what was then EDS, which has since become Hewlett Packard. With that, I went back to school and got a master's degree in organization development and I also received a graduate certificate in change management. And so I had all this education and I was surrounded by a people who like my my little master's degree was was paled in comparison to all these highly educated people who had PhDs and law degrees and just multiple degrees, but it, it was it was so empowering and they were so willing to support and mentor me, that it inspired me to do more. And so my stint with the government was kind of the building block to get me into this world of government consulting where my peers may or may not have ever worked in the government, but they always strived to learn and do more and not just the established strategies, but really help move the government forward. And so from there, I ended up getting married. My husband and I moved down to Charlotte, and the company I was working for at the time was doing some consulting work with a Fortune 100 company here in Charlotte, and that was about 13 years ago. I came down and was consulting with that company and eventually got hired by the organization in a manager role and from that point I continued to climb up the ladder I had a, an amazing manager who is an executive now and Rocky really took me under his wing I became good friends with Rocky and his wife and he helped me kind of learn the lay of the land in Charlotte, which is very different. Oh, Me- yeah. Mecklenburg County is very different than the experiences I had in the Washington, D.C. area. The DMV, it was much harsher. Mm-hmm. So I say when I came down south to Charlotte and Mecklenburg County, I had to shake off my city edge. Yeah, yeah. I had to learn about relationships in a very different way. Right. And there was an openness to the relationships that I had not experienced in D.C. Right. And
0: I think that's something that a lot of people coming to Charlotte have to get used to.
1: Absolutely. Is that
0: As my listeners know, I've moved 10 city. So Charlotte is my 10th city and every wow. city has a particular rhythm and culture to it. Absolutely. But Char- Charlotte is different or Mecklenburg. And and as I get out in North Carolina, it's, it's pretty much the same. It just gets a little better or deeper. This idea of the relationship matters as much, if not more than yes. the skills and competency of the person. Yes.
1: It takes networking to a very different level. Absolutely. So the skill set has to be there. Mm-hmm but who you know really matters yeah. on a whole different level.
0: Now it's interesting cuz you would think that's true in
1: Washington, right? It is true, but in a different way. So can you give us a little so or a story? Sure. What I would say is when I worked on Capitol Hill, it was very cliquish and I had a difficult time breaking in mm-hmm. because I probably wasn't in any of the cliques. Mm -hmm. And I worked, as I mentioned, in the Office of Senate Security, and we handled classified briefings, classified materials, et cetera. So we were separate. We were not political in nature. And it was a very small office, and I just had a difficult time connecting. And what I learned through that time at Senate Security was that employees on Capitol Hill don't have the same rights as employees elsewhere. Okay. And when I had difficulties, there was not really anyone for me to turn to. Mm-hmm. And so as my time there became increasingly more difficult, and as I saw things that didn't feel right to me, yeah. there was no path. Mm-hmm. And so moving forward and and taking that leap into making a shift yeah. was a huge step because typically when you go into the government, you don't leave. Right, right. One of my closest friends was an FBI agent. And I remember we used to have conversations and she would say, just seven more years to retirement, mm-hmm. just five more years. And I thought, And by this time, I was in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And I thought, five years is a long time for you to be miserable. Right, You deserve better than that.
0: So a lot of people, you know, are coming out of, which is very interesting, because now we have this kind of full employment. Everybody says the game is, you know, for anybody. And they endured a bad economy to stay into a job that they may or may not have liked. Right. But there are a lot of people today who now that kind of the shackles are off,
1: Mm -hmm. the economy
0: is switched from an employer's market to an employee market. Yes. They have that freedom. And But the thing I hear the most is, I don't know how to reinvent myself. Yes. What about you? How did you take that moment? Because we're talking, you came to Charlotte in 2005-ish or so. Yes. So it was just, the economy was just about ready to break and you took a big leap to reinvent yourself or to, you know, to move. Where did that come from? Where did that strength come from?
1: What I would say is that the biggest leap for me was leaving the government because Mm. that was a big part of my identity, especially when I worked for the FBI. Mm -hmm. When I had to return my credentials, it's like, it, someone took my arm mm-hmm. because it was so much a part of who I was. Mm-hmm. So once I left the government, it, it was more or less like the world is open. Okay, Like it anything goes. And what I found was I had this skill set. So while my degrees are in human resource management, and let's go back to the whole concept of Charlotte and the South and the focus is on people and relationships. I had this skill set in project management, program management, communications, but I knew how to interact with people, yeah, and that's really what it took, yeah, and so, with the right guidance, again, right. I had this wonderful manager slash mentor and friend right. who was able to help guide me. Through, mm-hmm. and so with that setup, I found myself very successful and hired very quickly into a Fortune 100 company. Mm-hmm. Where you know, within the first five years, I led a very successful implementation that was considered a non-event for HR. It basically we we redid the entire HR system. Yeah. And when the head of HR tells you it's a non-event, meaning that everybody got paid and nothing went wrong, then you know you did good. Oh, you did more than good. (laughs) Yeah, so you can pat yourself on the back with a a huge team of amazing people. Yeah, And so it was a major confidence builder, but also I had the support of my leadership. Right. And so I was in that sweet spot. Right, right. And at, at that time those skills were valued i was valued and i felt like hey i'm ready for the next level right and i was positioned by my manager to go to the next level wow and i had been put in a position where i was asked to take on the it liaison role for our company's culture survey okay And so I had already been interacting with all of the technology leaders across the company. So you had the relationship. So I already had the relationship. So when a leadership position opened up and the direct report of the CIO Mm -hmm. wanted to... Bring me into that role. Wow. He picked you. He selected me, and the support was there. Right, right. And so I ended up with a a nice sized team. Mm -hmm. You know, my background, I I will say very candidly, I always sat in the space once I got into corporate America of IT. Right. But I dealt more with the people side of technology. Right. So I would say, I've been that bridge between technology and people, technology and the business. Right.
0: And so one of the things that when I meet a new executive who's interested in in working with me, I told them that. They always ask, well, you don't know anything about my business. You don't know anything about, you know, the technology. You don't know anything about how our business runs. And I said, yeah, you're, you're probably right. But what I am is an implementation specialist. And an implementation exactly. specialist is just someone who understands how to get people together. Right. How How words, how tone, how strategy matters yes. to those people pulls them together and has them grow in the same direction
1: absolutely it,
0: there's not anywhere you know you got fortunate somehow you you bridge both your technical skills and went to the people side and so now you have this great package that yes. has led to incredible success because an enterprise-wide and a fortune 100 hr implementation hris implementation yes is no joke, folks. It is no it's joke. It's no
1: joke. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, we had a team of onshore, offshore. We had multiple experts, yeah. you know, it, it was an amazing experience, right. lots of long days right. and nights, but it was something I wouldn't trade for the world. Oh
0: yeah. Cause you learn, not only did you learn so much, but it's project management is really nice for us as humans because yes. there are clear milestones. And if you hit those milestones, mm-hmm. you know, you did a good job.
1: Right. And then we also did something that I think we forget about a lot of times, Mm -hmm. which is we took the time to celebrate.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: And so everyone got to say, hey, look what we did. Yeah. Look what we did together. Yeah. And so you had IT and HR walking in lockstep. Right. Right. And and oftentimes we're at odds, oh, we're yeah. butting heads. Oh, but yeah. in this case, we weren't. We were true partners. Right. We had a, a system integrator that we worked with. You know, we had our moments, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we all pulled it together. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it's on it, one of my um, in one of the companies that I worked in, we not only had the celebration, but we also had the grieving process, because. Uh. Once you have the celebration, once Mm -hmm. the project is done and you have to go back to your whatever jobs or the team is disbanded for good reasons. Yes. I mean, we need your resource. The company needs your resources someplace else. Right. Skills somewhere else. There's a loss. Right. Because when you go through that much work, that much uncertainty, is it going to work? We hope it's going to work. Let's test it. And the hard work and the camaraderie and the brain trust that kind of develops that through this friendship of skills and delivery,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then it's gone and it's like, huh?
1: Exactly.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. And so so after that project, you mm-hmm. went on to, now you're working for the CIO. What's next? Because well, this I'm, is big. I, I was
1: working for the, I wasn't working for the CIO. I was working for a direct report of the CIO, okay. but I was on the extended leadership team. Gotcha. So what actually happened at that point, it, it just kind of closing out the HRIS implementation. One of the things that was amazing about it was that we did not on the IT side lose one employee because we were able to retrain them ah, on the new system. Yes. And so that was a huge win. Yeah. Because that those employees were very knowledgeable on the old system that had been highly customized and knew nothing about the new system. But they all came up to speed through this long project. And they were trained. They were hands-on. And so it was a win. So we were still together in some form or fashion. We just had a different focus. Right. So then I went on.
0: Before you go, that is such a huge message to the rest of the company absolutely that you know if that this is a company that's not only invested in being successful in the marketplace obviously a fortune 100 but they are successful because they also understand that the message that you send to employees is if we hold you to the old technology when the new technology or the new process comes in place we're going to make sure that you're if you're willing Right. We will help you become successful in the new way that we're doing business. Yes. Huge, huge message it to is. those on and those watching.
1: Yes, it's a, it's about valuing people. And it's not just saying that as a part Absolutely. of your, you know, this is our culture and we value our people. It's showing it. Yeah. It's living it. Yeah.
0: Because I always say, you know, we listen to your words, but we really watch your feet. Yes. And if you're not, if you're not moving the way you're talking, I don't trust you.
1: Exactly. So my next role was heading up technology for. Let's see, I had uh, human resources. I continued heading up for human resources. I also had long compliance. I had internal audit. I owned SharePoint, and then Clarity, which was a project management slash time tracking system mm-hmm. for our contingent staff. As well as a production support team, oh my, and a couple of other things. So it, there was it was a, a huge range of team members from contingent staff, developers. We had some offshore. We had project managers. Test. I uh, had a quality assurance team. And the team was in disarray, and there was a a lack of trust Mm -hmm. when I came on board. And it wasn't directed at me. It was based on past experience. So there was no place I could go but up. (laughs) Well, I could stay down, but but I wasn't going to stay down. And and the interesting thing is that I already had a relationship with some of the team members, which, which was good. Yeah and it turned out to be a really rewarding experience and slowly but surely and with the support of my leader right we were able to make great strides and then i was working with my peers to ensure that we had consistency across the board yeah and they were very open And I had to be open as well to the challenges because we had people located across the country. Mm -hmm. Specifically, though, the team located in New York Mm -hmm. had a very different experience. They worked with employees on the trading floor. Mm. And their experience was very different than those who were working with the compliance team. Right. So trying to put all that together was was very interesting and one of the things that i found was again focusing on relationships i had a developer who i found to be brilliant right but he was always very slow and we used to have these one-on-one chats like skip level conversations as as i did you know i either did team skip levels i would and skip alternate skip level is where skip level would... is where i would meet with my my direct reports, direct reports. Okay. And so I would either do it, I would do alternate every quarter. Either I would do the entire skip level team mm-hmm. or I would do one on ones. Mm-hmm. So I would alternate every quarter. And so this particular developer who had a brilliant mind, mm-hmm. but he was disconnected from the client. Mm-hmm. He didn't interact with the client on a regular basis and he did not see the value of time. Okay. And so Just through talking to him and trying to get him to see what was so important about making deadlines, I realized that my message wasn't getting through. And I ended up developing with HR, with the talent team, we ended up putting together a panel. And the panel included HR partners, like from the infrastructure team, Mm -hmm. from the IT PMO team, a project management, our uh, program management office team to include our internal clients, right. like from compliance, right. like from legal, mm-hmm. like from human resources. And we did some practice and we had this panel discussion, and I invited my entire team. We had people on video conference. And basically we went through and we asked questions like, what is good customer service to you? Uh, What happens when we deliver late? And so we had, for example, our compliance partner say, when you deliver late and I have people who have to certify because they work, they're registered reps and they have to work with our folks who are participants who have their retirement Right. dollars with right. us, right. and they're not able to certify that they've correctly done trades right. and that kind of thing, then I get, at the end of each quarter, about 300 calls or emails a day wow. with complaints, Wow, and I can't address them yeah. because I don't write code. Right, And so I saw this one developer—it right. wasn't just for him, but it was right. for everyone— he wrote four solid pages of notes. Wow. And I saw almost, I could almost visually see the light bulb go right, off right, over right. The his, head. his head. smoke coming out of his head as
0: he finally connected what he did.
1: And it was so simple, but it, it just took connecting the dots.
0: And, I, I, you know, you said that's simple, but it's actually not very simple because, <laughs> you know, two, three days ago, I just did this presentation called Measure What Matters. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's supposed to be the HR cheat sheet for HR metrics. And and in it, I talk about all the time. We often tell people the, why the efficiency. So we got efficiency numbers. We have effectiveness numbers Mm -hmm. and performance reviews, et cetera, but it really doesn't change anybody until they understand the impact. Yes. And that one, what you think is a simple exercise. a Panel probably took you what an hour to do. Right. Um, Exactly. Change. Not only his perception, but it's solidified for the entire team that we matter. Yes. And and that's the song today, right? Yes. You know, whether it's exactly. Simon Sinek or anybody else that you can name, why we matter. Mm-hmm. Well, that simple exercise, which was good for both sides, because now Absolutely. everybody's being heard, yes. right? Which builds trust.
1: Mm-hmm. I matter. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: Great, great, great partnership.
1: Yeah, it, it was it was a great experience, and I did share it with my peers and other people. And I said, you know, it's not rocket science. It's literally, you know, people want to be heard, but also you can't have your developers sit in a room, you know, in the corner developing, and you can't have your QA people over in another room testing and no one's talking. And they really don't understand at the end of the day what what we're supposed to be delivering and Absolutely. why it matters.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So all this time you've been very successful You've and you've taken on some big challenges. You've had some, you know, stuff at work. And, and it's as nice as we all, you know, give the history <laughs> of it. It doesn't sound like it was that hard. Right. But it was, it was <laughs> difficult because you're was difficult. managing people, you're managing yes. technology, you're holding mm-hmm. people to schedules. You've got to make sure accountability is built in. Mm-hmm. You've got to make sure that your peers are comfortable, happy, seeing the same thing. So there's a lot of activity in yes. terms of what you were doing mm-hmm. at that. And then this story right. kind of shows up in your life, huh?
1: Yeah. So before this happens. Before which happened? B- before, before my child enters my life okay. my, that I wrote uh, Journey to the Sun about, I'll back up and tell you something happened before that. Okay. That is, is very relevant and started the change in me. Okay. So I had this team and we we started working like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Right? We were doing great things and there were people who decided to leave because they weren't with the program. You right. know, it wasn't a command and control. We're working collaboratively. I had a great relationship with my manager, with my peers. Things were going very well. And... Then there were a couple of tragedies that happened. Oh, wow. I had a consultant who came on board and had a life-threatening stroke (gasps) to the point that she was never able to return to work. Oh, my goodness. Then I had a consultant who later became an employee whose son drowned in a neighbor's pool. He was about three. Mm. And then I had an employee who had a heart attack and then multiple heart attacks mm. he actually had a heart attack while he was at work but didn't realize mm-hmm. it we have at work we have a health center and they you know said immediately you have to go to the hospital and he was out of work for a long period of time and so those were very difficult times and we utilized our employee assistance program to make sure our staff was cared for and i was so glad that that was you know a benefit that we have available to us the others who us. Were kind of
0: his peers yes. and coworkers right? yes
1: and so during this time i think right after that i did a team outing so i brought everyone together and we did like a team outing at UNC Charlotte. And we got together and and things went really well and there was one particular employee and I'll try to make this very brief that I connected with. We were just talking at while we were waiting on our next activity and our sons were about the same age. Now by this time I had my foster son. I got him when he was 10 days old. He went back to his birth mother at 6 months old. You know, I went through that trauma, you know, my manager knew about it, but I didn't make a big deal about it at work. You know, it was kind of compartmentalized, I would say, but everyone knew about my baby. Mm -hmm. They knew he existed, but not the details. And so tell a little bit about the before that. So you you had been married. Okay. Sure. Sure. For context. Yeah. But don't let me forget to tell you about this employee of mine because it's, it's, it's relevant to the story. So I had been married. My husband actually wanted to move down South from the DC area when we were in DC, we tried to get pregnant. We both had some fertility issues. I went through in vitro fertilization. I was trying to get pregnant later in life. I had had fibroids, you know, just had some challenges. He had challenges as well. We did get pregnant and through in vitro fertilization, and at seven weeks, I miscarried. Mm-hmm. So we went through every week. Heard a heartbeat and at seven weeks, no heartbeat. Yeah. So that was really crushing. Right. And at that point, our marriage was really in a sham in shambles. Mm -hmm. We were in DC at that time. We moved south Mm -hmm. and continued to try to get pregnant through in vitro fertilization through an organization here in the Charlotte area. And it, you know. Trying to get pregnant, especially when your marriage is not in a good place, right, right. is very stressful. It's stressful if your marriage is rock solid. Right. But it was it was not good. We were unsuccessful. Right. We had pretty much settled on using a an egg donor. Mm-hmm. And we had actually identified the donor. And then my husband's mother, my mother-in-law passed away. My mother and my mother-in-law had been uh, breast cancer survivors. And my mother-in-law's cancer came back and she died very quickly. Okay. And at that point, my husband decided he wanted a divorce mm-hmm. and we split very quickly. Yeah. And it actually turned out to be... Uh, Of course, the fact that my mother-in-law passed away was horrible. I loved her dearly. Right. But the divorce was probably the right thing for both of us. Right, right. And so it was painful, but not the worst thing as time went on. Not the worst thing by any means that I ended up experiencing.
0: Yeah, pain is always relative, right? Yes.
1: And you might, like, I may have thought it was the worst thing at the time, but then there was more to come. Right, right. So fast forward, I became a foster parent. I got my little boy. He was 10 days old. He was the 11th child of the birth mother. She had lost her parental rights to the other 10 children. Right. I got him straight from the hospital. I had to stop at the store and pick up a car seat. And you were and at work, right? I was at work. Okay. Call, got the call. Got the call. Out. They said, do you want him? How long? I, I said, How long do I have to think about? It? They said, Now. Yeah. I said, Okay, let's do it. Right. And so I got the car seat, got some preemie clothes because he was just ten days old. Right. Although he was a big boy, he was five pounds. Right. right. And pre, uh, five, as a preemie, as a preemie was a big boy. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll go back to work on Monday. But no, <laughs> like I was totally clueless, and so I had a, a, a nice big village to help me out. So so, if I can fast forward real quick, and then, and then we'll talk a little more about my son. So going back to the time when I had this team building day, right? there was a, one of the members of my team, he was not a direct reporter of mine, he was a skip level, but we were talking about our sons, mm-hmm. and they were the same age, and he just loved his son, and we would exchange like, oh, he was showing teaching his son using baby genius and he used these videos and I would talk to him about things I was doing with my son. And it was a great bonding moment. And we would exchange pictures of our boys and things like that. And I did notice he was struggling more at work from a relationship standpoint. He was doing really well with our internal clients, but he was struggling from a relationship standpoint. So then fast forward probably another year And I, you know, I told you about some of the challenges that happened in terms of health issues and deaths with the team. And right before Christmas on this particular year, I got a call and they said, turn on the news. And here was this gentleman who was on my team. On the national news, he was out of New York, by the way, and it turned out none of us knew that he was going through a divorce, that he had not been able to see his son for many months, had only been able to have supervised visitation at some point, and when he had his first unsupervised visitation he took his son to a high-rise vi- uh, building and threw him off, oh. and then he jumped. Oh, and both were killed. Oh, and when I tell you, it was just unbelievable. Right, and there were people who had sat beside him at work in New York for eight years. Yeah, and I knew him for about seven and a half right, years, right. and he would reach out to me on a regular basis, and we would interact. Not just through skip levels. I mean, I interacted with all of my team. I knew he really loved his son, and everyone had such mixed emotions about it. Right. But my job was to make sure my team was okay. Right. So our CIO, my former boss at the time, because we had been through a reorg, so I had a different manager at that point, you know, everybody reached out and said, you know, what can we do to make sure everyone's okay? Right. And it was, again, that support. But for me, it was also, let me put my feelings over here. In the box. In the box, because I need to make sure everyone's okay. But internally, I had my own personal struggle, Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, it felt so selfish. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then I thought about this beautiful little boy, Mm -hmm. little curly-haired boy, I probably had 50 pictures of him in mm-hmm. my email.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I always thought of his son and my son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how, growing up together. Growing playing. up together. Yeah. I mean, and while they weren't physically together, right. they were developing together. Right, right. They were learning together. Right. And so it just reminded me of my situation and how vulnerable it was and how I had no legal rights to my son yeah. and how especially cuz in
0: North Carolina at that time a foster
1: parent could not adopt. Well, is that right? That's true, but it, okay, so let me clarify one piece about my son. Right. So I was I was his foster parent from 10 days old to 6 months. Okay. At 6 months he was given back to his mother. Mm. And then I was not his foster mother. Oh. I had no legal relationship At all with him. Okay. After about two weeks from the time he was given to his mother, I called her because I knew he wasn't safe. Oh, no. And I just said, I need to see him. Right. And so I gave up my foster license because I couldn't do anything as a foster parent because it would appear that I was representing Mecklenburg County and I was not. Right, right. right. And for the next six years or so, we Tried to co-parent. Right. And so I had no legal rights. So at any given moment, she could say, you can't see him anymore. Right. So it just reinforced how vulnerable my relationship was. Right. And how I had no rights and so no say so. you really identified
0: so. with this guy. I did. You found out. I identified had no with him. no way to see his son. Yes.
1: At the same time, it just killed me that he would and that's probably a horrible word to use, yeah. that he would go to that point. It also let me know how much he was hurting. Yeah. But I can tell you, I would lose my son before I would ever harm one hair on his head. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. So even the thought of it. Even the did, thought of it, it. It was so difficult. But again, I had to put those feelings aside and yeah. deal with them separately. Right, right. Because— My team, especially those people who sat with him every day, the internal clients we had that dealt with him every day, they were all devastated. Right,
0: because they had relationships.
1: And angry. Yeah. And sad. Yeah. I mean, just a multitude of feelings. All
0: of this. Yes. Coming out at one time.
1: Yes. And so how helpless I felt. It was something that was new to me Mm -hmm. because I've always been that person where I felt like I had control. And it was kind of the beginning of that lesson that we really don't have control over anything but us. Yeah.
0: And our emotions or
1: how we react, right? How we react to things, how we handle things, you know, how we choose to be. I mean, when I say I, I don't have control... In the, in the workplace in particular, right when things got, and there's always a time when things get ugly or dirty. I, I would never go to that level. Right. You know, the Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. Yeah, yeah. She hadn't said it at the time. I didn't know who she was at right. the time, but that right. was always kind of how I handled right. myself. Right. I'm not going to engage at that level. I'm just not going to do it. But- This was a true feeling of helplessness. Mm -hmm. And it was the first of many that I experienced from there. And so that's probably around the time I started sharing some of my story. Oh, So that changed you to be more open. It changed me to be more open. Although I will say when I first got my son when he was 10 days old, It changed me almost immediately. And and two weeks after that, I had a hysterectomy Mm. and I was out on a short term disability. And so it was like one door closed and one door opened, like basically at the same time. And when I came back, you know, a month later, I remember one of my team members said, you know, Carla, you know, we finally get to see the human side of you. And I thought, you know, I have been kind of this machine, which right. is how you function and how I functioned in right. DC. Right? How I was able to make it in DC right. in a very male-dominated right. environment. Right? Like, I'm not. I remember somebody back in DC told me, "Like, you do business like a man," and I said, "No, I do business like a professional." Yeah. And I just didn't want to have that image of the coddling mother, right? At all, right? But I, I do care about people, so how do I balance it? Yeah, that's and,
0: that's the question. And so now yeah. that was presented to you.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I started sharing more mm-hmm. of who I, like the authentic me. Mm-hmm. Not that I wasn't authentic before, but I would say I guarded mm-hmm. those pieces of me mm-hmm. that I didn't feel were necessary in the workplace, but I learned better. yeah. As I experienced more. Right. You know, and it's being open to that learning. Right. Which I think made me a better colleague. Right. And friend.
0: But is it true or can I take from what you're saying that you learn to find pieces that you could share? Because as, you know, you tell the story in your book,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: people knew things, but they didn't know things.
1: Right. So as I state in the book... There were safe things to share right. that people could digest, right. that people could handle. Right. There were other things that I did not share because it would be too much of a burden. It would probably make people look at me differently. Yeah. And so I'll give a specific example of that. Right. There was a point in time when we were still co-parenting. Again, I had no legal rights. Yeah. When I was driving my son's birth mother somewhere and my son was in the car. And by this point, when after right around age three, he started living with me the majority of the time. He, he was in school. Right. Uh, preschool, etc., cetera. And by this time, he was probably in kindergarten or first grade. And I saw a lot of change in him. He was becoming angrier and he was always such a sweet child. This particular day, his mom was really mad about something. And I would typically... Placate her, you know. Let me. Oh, it'll be okay. Let's go. You know, get something to eat. Let's. You know, I would baby her. Yeah. And you know, I knew that she had mental health problems because she was bipolar. She she was uh, she would self identify as bipolar, and then I I knew that she had bipolar disorder, and I would help her with her medication, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then I also knew there was a history of drug abuse. I wasn't at that point really willing to admit that Mm. there was drug abuse going on and I wasn't that focused on the drug abuse at that point. But we were driving in the car and she was just getting more and more angry. And for some reason, this particular time, I just did not give in. Okay. And she hit me in the face as I was driving. Oh. And it just was the most devastating thing. Now, not only did she hit me, she hit me in front of my son. Yeah. Now, I grew up in small town Indiana. Right. You know, not that people, anyone can get hit anywhere, but I had not ever experienced anything like that. You know, I had had so-called normal relationships and it was shocking. It was a wake-up call. So I pulled over in the parking lot And I just had to get out of the car, and I just hit my knees, and it's like I just gave up. I had to just realize, like, I'm not controlling anything here. Like, I'm not safe.
0: Right, right. And if
1: I'm not safe, my kid's not safe. Right, And if she'll do this to me, what is she doing to him when when I'm not there? And so all this I put in, and when I say elaborate, I don't mean it in a sinister way. I put together this elaborate plan. And what I mean by that is instead of them going from house to house, I bought them a house. I put them in it. I didn't ask them to pay rent. I made sure there was food on the table. I had pest control in place. I did all these things to make sure my baby was safe. Right. I made sure that he had clothes when he wasn't with me. I made sure that they had like hygiene products and and things to clean the house. But it either never worked, and I just didn't know because you weren't there. Hundred percent, I wasn't there. Right, or it stopped working as he got older and he learned how to speak and act Mm -hmm. and he started misbehaving mm-hmm. but back to this event at first i didn't tell anyone and then i told maybe one or two people not my parents not my family right i told one male friend who i was really close to and he said okay you got to get a restraining order and i said no and he said okay i can't talk to you about this anymore mm-hmm. I just can't. Right. He was like, you have to protect yourself. Right, right. And it was too painful for him to, for me to continue. Right. And so again, so I became very isolated. Right. And some of it was self-imposed. Right. A lot of it was self-imposed. Right. But the little bits and pieces that people knew, right. it was difficult for them right. in my personal life. Right. So at work... Just think of what it would have done if I shared right. too much. Right. So but, and and so part of the reason this this is
0: very fascinating to me is is that, you know, I, I always tell executives, and I even when I was the head of HR, we don't really know what people bring to work. Right. We don't really know where they are. And you gave example after example of how you began to understand that what that we're integrated beings. Yes. And it it shows up at work even when we think we're in control. Yes. Just as much as, you know, blabbing it out. It just shows up in it a different way. Up.
1: That's right. It does. It does. And and what I found was as much as I thought I was successful at compartmentalizing, yeah. it does bleed. Yeah. it It bleeds over. It bleeds yeah. in. Yeah. And so there were times when I had to just close my office door, and just let it out. Yep. There might be one or two confidants I had that I could share a little more with, but still not everything. Not everything.
0: Because they, the the reaction you were getting was you're in an unsafe place. Yes. And they, their desire to be your friend and to provide support was to kind of help you, or at least. Tell you, yes, that what you're doing is not safe for you, right? As well, so trying right. to broaden your, broaden your perspective,
1: right? And, and and at the end of the day, most people felt that this child, I know you love him, but he's not your son. Yeah. So because
0: legally he still was her correct.
1: son. They. May or may not have understood the bond that I had with yeah. him, having ha- brought him home from the hospital. Right.
0: Ten, ten, 10 weeks, right?
1: 10 days. 10
0: days. Yeah. He
1: laid on my chest. You know, that first six weeks, that yeah. bonding yeah. when they they lay on heartbeat your chest, to skin heartbeat. to skin. Yes. That was my baby. Right. And I knew he wasn't safe. Right. So at some point, it got to the point where I couldn't hide it at work. Yeah. Because, as he got older, he started acting out, but the acting out i learned- later learned was related to his trauma, yeah, and then the parents, with their mental health deteriorating and their drug abuse increasing, yeah they could not contain their behavior, and so I would get emergency calls. At work on a regular basis,
0: mm.
1: back to back to back to back, right, and so it got to the point where I was just maintaining yeah the wonderful thing is, you know, new manager, a different manager at this point, there was a lot of support you know what can we do to help you? you know how how if you need help, raise your hand if you need someone to stand in the gap here, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. And so that was a blessing Mm -hmm. to me. Clearly, I was in crisis at this point. Mm
0: -hmm. And they could see it even if you couldn't.
1: Oh, yeah, they could see it. At at this point, there was no hiding it. I mean, my staff didn't necessarily know. They knew something was going on. It got to the point, especially when my son was six, he attempted suicide twice. Oh, no. A six-year-old? A six-year-old, yes. Wow. This is how bad it Things got, yeah. and mind you, from age three on, he was with me seventy-five to eighty percent of the time. Right, but but, that, but just like twenty we, to
0: twenty-five. That's
1: yeah, just like we learn what it takes eight to nine positives to yeah. counter one negative. Yeah, and we're talking about negatives on the level of the parents trying to kill each other yeah. and and fighting dr- and drugs, drugs and, and the whole nine yeah. and you know I later learned that you know they were child victims of trauma right. I learned a lot along the way but all this is going on while I'm trying to work right so it was almost impossible to balance and it got to the point where my son ended up in a mental hospital mm-hmm. and and it was just difficult to function yeah. at work period yeah. and i ended up through work right. we had a a benefit of this is kind of a side note but it comes into play we had a benefit where we could work with a company to do estate planning
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Maybe the year before I had done estate planning and the uh, attorney I was working with said, I have a feeling you're going to need a family law attorney at some point. And I was like, "Ah, I doubt it. And they said, well, just take these names and numbers. And I did. And then I had to find them because I was like, I have to do something. My son is going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And so I called the third name. I went through number one, number two, number three. And in three days with this attorney, I had emergency custody. Right. And domestic violence protection orders for my son and me right. from his birth parents. Right. Because there were death threats, you right. know, just everything. Right, And at this point... You know, my company had, you know, security involved. Right. You know, the protection orders were at every entrance of our Building. of our campus. Campus, okay. Of our campus. And it's like, what do you need right. from us? So I couldn't have asked for more support. Yeah. But I still had work to do. Right. And, and it became very difficult. So my manager, he stood in the gap a great deal. Right. And then, you know, we had this wonderful benefit once. I went through about two years of court. Right. And I had to take a bunch of time off. And once the adoption was finalized, which was last October, right. I was oh, able goodness. to. Oh, yes, yeah. goodness. Yes. Congratulations. And thank you so much. Congratulations. Is, thank you so, so much. It was unbelievable because, it, again, I was told it could never happen. Right. I had no birth yeah. I had no blood relationship no blood. with him. I went to child advocacy groups. I talked to other attorneys. Right. It couldn't happen. Right. This attorney said, in locos parentis, meaning as if you're the biological parent, as if you're the birth parent. And like I said, in three days, I got emergency custody and protection orders. And within two years, the adoption was finalized. I mean, there was a lot that happened within those two years. Yeah, yeah. but post-adoption, I went out on parental leave, which is kind of the new version of maternity leave for the mother or the father after a live birth or adoption. And I'm just finishing that up now. And it was really something I needed.
0: Right. So just so, you know, my audience, there's two two kinds of people who kind of tends to listen to this. And one is executives who Mm -hmm. are struggling with these Pesky people issue things, right? Yes. And then Mm -hmm. there's the HR uh, crowd that's listening to it. Yes. And it almost looks like somehow the culture at the company is one where it really is very collaborative in terms of keeping the eye on what the work needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So people said, you know what, this person has a reputation of doing very well here. Mm -hmm. She's a valued employee. We have these resources in place. Let's make sure she knows what they are. Yes. And it didn't sound like anybody forced you to be in it, but everything that you needed was already there. And it was really about you opening your eyes or somebody whispering in your ear, Mm
1: -hmm. take advantage. Yes. Take advantage. Yes. I mean, I had my manager say like, what are you doing uh, like regarding self-care? Right. I had a, a close relationship or have a close relationship with our HR business partner, the EAP folks right. know me right. very well. Right. You know, anything that I could take advantage of, I was very familiar with it. One, because I used to support HR, right. and, and but a, a lot has changed since then. Yeah. I don't support HR anymore from an IT perspective. But also, like you said, I had built a foundation of being a successful leader and I, the other thing i didn't mention was not only in the it area but i also was involved in the company in other ways so i was the inaugural chair of the young professionals employee resource group mm-hmm. i was one of the one of the leaders on the volunteer council like mm-hmm. i was very actively involved mm-hmm. in the company mm-hmm. so i had a very solid reputation. Across. Across the board. And that's one thing I will say to people in general. And I've said this to my team members or people who I mentor, like people need to know who you are and know your brand. And your brand shouldn't be one dimensional. Yeah. And it has to evolve over time. I wasn't thinking about any of that as I was coming up or, or growing up in corporate America initially, it's something that I did just because that's what I did. Right. But I learned over time, kind of the labels that you put on it, put on it. And I knew that we couldn't get anything done without the people in the company. You can have the greatest technology in the world and it, you can have a horrible experience and fail time and time again Absolutely. if you don't have the right people in place and people who are really committed and engaged. Right, I mean, right. we talk all the time about employee engagement and the culture surveys that we do, it's uh, it's worth its weight in gold.
0: Right, because it gives you indicators.
1: It gives you but, so much information. But in
0: those indicators, I mean, those are data points, right? They are. And, and unless the, you know, people... Mm-hmm. Whether they have a title of leadership or they have a title as a specialist or expert mm-hmm. in the company, unless they can embrace what those data points actually mean, the impact of those data points, it doesn't work. Because that's right. As you're talking about how the leadership pulled in and your peers pulled in to step into the gap, your quote,
1: mm-hmm.
0: your staff had to see a change in you too. Yes. And they needed to step up to support you. So yes. This level of reciprocality that you built, Mm -hmm. which is what relationships is about, showed through from the time you got there through the time, even until you, you know, had the big breakthrough of this woman slapping you and you deciding, hey, you know, this ain't going forward. Right. This is it. I, yes. I'm done. I got a, another plan has to be put in place. Right. And that's when you, you know, you said this child is not safe. I'm not safe. I have to do something different yes. out of it. So this whole idea of everybody kind of pulling together to be supportive, mm-hmm. to make sure that people have what they need to continue to be high performers or contributors mm-hmm. in a way that that is valuable far beyond the work that you deliver. Yes, I mean, all of that support that those are recognitions those are examples that you now can tell,
1: yes, about absolutely. what engagement
0: really means in the workplace. Yes, these are live stories about what that means
1: yes and and what I will say about my team members- uh, across the board, you know, since I've been at my company is that it was very natural for me to try to find ways to help them succeed. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's part of what made me successful. Mm-hmm. It made me feel successful. Right.
0: So how can people find out about the book? Or is it in bookstores today?
1: Yes. The book is available through Amazon, paperback, or ebook. It's on Nook, which is Barnes & Noble's online, iTunes, pretty much any major uh, retailer, you can get the ebook. And then again, as I mentioned, Amazon.com. If you're in the Charlotte area, Park Road Books. Uh, I'm having a book signing on coming up, but the book will be available, and signed copies will be available as well at Park Road Books in Charlotte.
0: And the name of the book is the Journey book, to the Sun." Yes, journey S-O-N. to the sun. S O N. S O N. It's yes. her journey. Yes, it's Carla's journey towards finding her son and loving him more than anything in life. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that my, everybody on the, on the audience and the listening audience is just going to find this the most fascinating thing, as well as executives who now have more concrete examples of how support works in the workplace and employees of having a picture of when it works well. What yes. does it look like? And that's what you bring to this, is that you are a living example of when it works well, well beyond what's written in the literature. Yes. You made it work. So thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the last podcast for my first season. Wow. Hey, hit the subscribe so you'll be notified when season two is released later this year. I've learned a ton during Season 1, and if you want to help me design Season 2, send me your questions and suggestions on why is it so hard to make life and work really work out? What's the gap between what you want today and what you want to achieve tomorrow? Thanks for listening to Season 1, and remember, closing the gap starts with one small step. So let's get stepping. Talk to you later this year.